this today, it is okay to look in the front of your Bible at the uh, table of contents and find out the page number. Also, I want to welcome our guest. Uh, Hunter mentioned earlier we have gifts for you at the Welcome Center. There's guest cards there in the seat back if you're visiting with us, or maybe you visited with us a few times, you've never filled one out. Uh, we'd, we'd love for you to do that. You can drop it off the Welcome Center. They've got a free gift for you back there. I promise we won't bug you or harass you, uh, but we'd love to know that you're here and who you are. Well, we started this new series last week. Thank you so much for uh, your, your vote and uh, bearing with us through that. But we, we started a new series last week out of uh, the Old Testament based on the minor prophets. If you weren't here, uh, we began with the book of Hosea. Uh, but basically, the, the set of minor prophets, uh, it, it's a set of books that, that a lot of times people just skip right over uh, in the Bible. Uh, but, you know, just because they're called the minor prophets doesn't mean that they're any less important uh, books in the Bible. And to be honest with you, uh, they also can be really hard to understand, uh, even though they are short. Uh, one of the main reasons that we're doing this series on the Minor Prophets is because I was kind of going back and looking it through, you know, places where I've preached, places where I haven't preached, and, and noticed that I haven't really preached a whole lot from any of the Minor Prophet books. And so we wanted to focus on that. I thought it would be an incredible idea to uh, preach a series of message from those Minor Prophets uh, as we enter into week two. Uh, I trust my judgment uh, because I had forgotten how difficult these minor prophet books are to understand. And, and so, uh, but like I told you last week, they're not called minor because they're not important. They're called minor because they're short. And, and so, which honestly, I prefer short books. I'm still all about those little bit thin books that they used to give us in grade school. You know, I prefer short books because I can read them uh, quickly. Uh, just like you prefer short sermons, right? I prefer short books, you prefer short sermons, and so we all have our own preferences. But seriously, there are 12 of these books that are considered minor prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, and they really are important because here's what they do. We find in these books uh, where they describe the issues and the problems that Israel was facing. Okay, a lot of which was brought on by themselves, but they're important because they, they describe how life in Israel uh, went so wrong and how they got on the wrong paths and how they were, you know, doing the wrong things. But not only that, but we also learn in these minor prophets how, uh, how they could be restored from that, how there's restoration in that, that your past does not have to define your future. And so we see a picture of what's wrong, but we also see a picture of, you know, how to make that right and how to be restored. And, and so Joel's book is the second book in the minor prophets uh, it's actually one of the earliest recorded books of, of these prophets, even though it comes later in the Old Testament. Um, uh, you, you need to understand the Old Testament is not in chronological order. Okay, So if you begin reading through the Old Testament, it's not actually in the order of the events they happen. And sometimes that can be a few confusing. There are Bibles out there that are called chronological Bibles that do have the scripture in the order that, that they happen. But, but uh, the, the book of Joel was written during a time is very early in Israel's history. Uh, it was after King Solomon, but it was before the exile. 
okay? And so uh, it was written during a time when a lot of things were going bad for Israel. A lot of things were wrong. There were a lot of issues, a lot of, a lot of difficult stuff going on. They had some really bad leaders at the time. Uh, they had suffered through uh, a horrible plague, uh, which we're going to talk more about here in just a few minutes. There was civil unrest. There was economic uh, instability and, and problems. Uh, you know, the, the, the stock market was down, foreign trade was low, uh, national confidence was non-existent, and they were trying to impeach the president. Um, and so none of that actually, that's us uh, today. But you're going to see the correlation between them and us as we go through this, uh, I promise you. But, but things were not looking good for Israel. Almost everyone believed that the country was on the wrong path, that uh, the future of the nation uh, didn't look good and they were headed in the wrong direction. Uh, and so I wouldn't be sharing all this today if I didn't feel like it was very relevant to the culture that we're living in today. You would have to have your head stuck in the sand not to know that uh, we're li living in some very uh, controversial and difficult times. And, and, and there, you know, there's a lot of things that, that are not going the way that God would intend for them to go. And, and so we, we can see the, the, the comparison there. And so in Joel's writing, uh, we see him basically diagnose the problem of Israel. Uh, you know, and he tells them... That, you know, you, it appears you feel like you've got a lot of problems. You feel like you've got a lot of challenges. You feel like you've got a lot of obstacles. But Joel's going to point out to them that they really just have one problem, right? Uh, they think that a bunch of things are wrong, but he tells them that really there's only one thing that is wrong. Uh, it reminds me of a story I, I heard one time about a guy that went to the doctor and he went in his doctor's office. He told the doctor, he said, I, I just hurt all over, everywhere. I hurt everywhere. And the doctor said, well, you know, show me where you hurt. He took his finger and he pointed to his head and he said, I hurt right here. He pointed to his chest and he said, I hurt right here. He pointed to his leg and I heard, he said, I hurt right here. The doctor looked at him and said, you're an idiot. Your finger's broke. And so, you know, a, a lot of times that's how we are. Uh, you know, the, uh, we, we feel like all these things are going wrong in our lives when actually it's just one thing. Uh, that is, is wrong. And so let's dig into what the prophet Joel says. The problem is, starting here in chapter 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 2. It says, Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children, and let your children tell it to their children, and their children to the next generation. So, so what Joel is saying here, what God is saying through the prophet Joel here is this. What, what is being recorded here, what is being shared here, I, I want you not only to share it with your kids, but I want you to share it with your grandkids and your great-grandkids. And you know, oh, by the way, this message has been passed on ever since Joel recorded it until right now. It's still being passed along. Verse 4 says, What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. And what the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. And what the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. And so this is what Joel says we're to pass on along to our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. The story of the locust. And, and you might read this and go, what in the world? You know, well, what is all this talking about? Because uh, first off, we read a lot about locusts in the Bible. Okay, and I just don't want to assume this morning that everyone knows what a locust is, but basically, uh, they're about three inches long. Uh, they're, uh, 
they, they kind of look like a heavily armored grasshopper, okay? Uh, uh, and people who are much more knowledgeable about locusts and no, locust swarms uh, tell us what this, you know, would have looked like. But basically, swarms of locusts uh, would just appear in the sky. They would just almost like they would appear out of nowhere. They would be so thick flying in as they would be approaching and coming as this plague would begin that, that basically the sunlight would be blocked. It was almost like a cloud in the sky. The locusts were so thick that it would darken uh, the skies because there were so many of them. And what they would do then is they, would, they, they came into this area and they would land and then they would begin digging holes. And they would dig these holes about four inches deep, and there they would lay their eggs in these holes that they have dug. They say that in one square yard of soil, there could be up to 70,000 eggs in one square yard when this took place. And within a few weeks, these, young, these eggs would hatch into young locusts. Uh, they, they wouldn't have wings yet, so they basically just hopped, kind of like a, a flea hops around. Uh, and they would cover anywhere from 400 to 600 feet a day, eating any vegetation that was in their path. And, and so as they grew, as they developed, uh, their ability to jump higher, you know, they got bigger and stronger, and so they had the ability to jump higher, which would a enable them to then devour uh, bushes and to hop onto vines and, and even small trees. Uh, in a few weeks, they would develop their wings, and then they would be free to go wherever they wanted to go. They would go in swarms over areas that they'd already covered and basically destroy any plant life that might be left there. Uh, they would even strip the bark off of the trees to expose uh, the trees. And they say that the sounds of these swarms of locusts was terrifying. And within days, there would be absolutely nothing left plant-wise living behind basically a wasteland. It would be almost like a nuclear bomb had gone off in the area when these locusts were finished. And so, you know, as they got more desperate for food, they then would swarm into, they would find their ways into the houses, eating, you know, fabric, eating wood, eating any food that they could find. And we no longer call them locusts today. We now call them teenagers and high school graduates, right? <clears throat> but, but you get the picture of, of the damage that these locusts could, could do. And, and Joel is using this locust plague, number one, as an illustration. All right? he, he's given us this illustration of what sin looks like, all right? as well as a warning of God's future and impending judgment upon sin as well. And so the first thing that we see here is this. The, the point of Joel's message uh, is basically this. This is a self-inflicted plague. All right, and, and the illustration here, much like the locust plague, is, is of the sin in our world today and the sin in many people's lives today. Like the plague of locusts, the devastating power of sin, it gradually destroys everything in its path, right? And it's, you know, until there's total devastation. And the point of Joel's message is this, and it's self-inflicted. It's self-inflicted because here's the deal. Let's be honest. You know, sin, sin may feel good in the moment, 
right? We, we wouldn't sin if it didn't feel good. We wouldn't sin if we didn't like it. We, we wouldn't sin if it, it wasn't fun starting out. And so sin may feel, feel good, you know, in the moment, but it eventually numbs you to a point to where you can no longer hear the locust. It, it eventually numbs you to the point that you don't even notice that it is devouring your life and destroying you and everything around you. And so the locusts are an illustration here of sin, and we see that. But they're also a warning of the coming judgment of sin in our world, one which is much more terrible than locusts. All right? As a matter of fact, Joel says that unless Israel wakes up, God is going to send the armies of Babylon into Israel like a horde of locusts. And I want you to listen uh, to how Joel prophesies about the Babylonian invasion uh, in terms of the locust plague. He describes it here in verse 6 of chapter 1. He says, A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Now, we'll skip over to chapter 2, and I don't have all this on the screens, but I just want you to follow along uh, in your Bibles with me this morning as we hear the description of this incoming judgment. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry. With a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountaintops. Like a crackling fire consuming stubble. Like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses. Like thieves, they enter through the windows. Before them, the earth shakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders. At the head of this army that obeys his command. I'm sorry, the Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful. Who can endure it? And in this illustration of the locust that Joel is sharing, he's showing us what sin does, the effects of sin. We see that we will suffer the natural consequences of sin. And then we see this warning that he starts out with, tell your children, tell your grandchildren, tell your great-grandchildren. Here's, here's a warning, right? Uh, 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 you know, a warning of the impending judgment that will eventually come upon a nation who is not following God. Uh, the impending judgment that will ultimately come. And as we see here, no one will escape it. 
who is in sin. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. That judgment comes. It's only an affirmation of what we have chosen for ourselves. Right? That judgment is only God's affirmation of what we picked and what we chose. God doesn't choose to destroy anyone with their sin. That is not His choice. That is, that's not His will. That we would be destroyed by our sin. It is a decision that is made individually. Hell is basically the full fruition of telling God to leave you alone and get out of your life. You got this. All right? And it's like C.S. Lewis once said, I love this quote. He said, in the end, we either say to God, thy will be done, or he says to us, thy will be done. We need to understand that God doesn't destroy. Sin destroys. Okay, and, and in this plague of locusts, yeah, it's, cra- it's a crazy story. I mean, it's hard to follow. It's hard, hard to understand. But in this plague of locusts, it is simply God trying to let you see where sin is taking you before it's too late. And, and, and any experience of the painful uh, consequences of our sin is God in his mercy trying to wake us up. So that we would hear the locusts, right? And, and there may be someone here today that, that, that feels like, you honestly feel like the locusts are eating away at every part of your life. I mean, sometimes we just feel like that, right? I mean, maybe you're, you know, you're trying to save money, but stuff keeps breaking down. You know, every time you feel like you're getting a little further ahead, you get another bill. Something else tears up, you know, and it just seems like one thing after another after another. And it feels like you just feel like the lo- locusts are just right on you, right? Just, just getting it. You're trying to be better in your marriage, but new issues just keep coming up. The conflict just keeps uh, getting greater, and it seems like the locusts are just eating you alive. You know, you're, maybe you're trying to, to find new ways to happiness, you know, and, and, and all the things that you're trying and you're experimenting with, even if they do bring you a little happiness, you know and you can feel that it's just surface level, right? It's not really real. You, you still can't find any contentment. And so if you, you have to spend money every day to get happy, Amazon's getting filthy rich on this, by the way, because they figured out that, you know, America, one way they're going to find, try to find contentment and happiness is by spending money. And so if you have to spend money every day to get happy, that's the locus, right? I've got, probably got locusts on my porch right now at my own house. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here, folks. Right, there's no, there's no, nobody worse about Amazon than me. Well, yeah, my wife, uh, but she's not here. So, uh, but if you're constantly trying to find a source of happiness, find a source of joy, find a source of contentment, you know, constantly having to find an escape from real life in order to find some peace or some happiness, you know, maybe it is shopping, maybe it is spending money. You know, for some, maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's drinking. Maybe it's pills. Can I just tell you this morning? Locust. Locust. 
and you find yourself here today in this tiny book of, uh, of the Old Testament that maybe you've never even heard of called, you know, Joel, because God is trying to get you to hear the swarming locusts and to wake you up. And so, you know, there's, there's not some new strategy uh, that I'm going to present to you this morning that will fix you. There's not a, a strategy, there's not a miracle solution out there that's going to fulfill you, even though there are books and books and books that are, are, are writ, written to try to help us and encourage us and, you know, help us to work through all these issues. And I'm not saying that, that all books are bad. I'm just telling you that there is not a strategy or a solution out there that's going to fix the problem that you've got. All right, there's just not. I want you to listen. There are more locusts out there than you have books. There are more locusts out there than you have solutions. There are more locusts out there than you have plans. The only solution for your locusts and your sins and your struggles is Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can clap. You know, and, and God has has blessed our church with a lot of growth over the years. We've seen a lot of people. God, God has so richly blessed us. We see a lot of people come through these doors just checking us out, right? Some come in just exploring this whole God thing. Maybe you're here this morning, and that's you. But here's what I've seen so often is, is people often come in here. Sometimes they come as, because it's a place of last resort. Sometimes they come because there's something that they just don't know how to deal with. They don't know how to get through. And someone always told them that church would help. And so they just come, you know, trying to to uh, get some kind of fix, get some kind of change that might help them get through whatever it is. But here's what I've seen so often. People searching for help. They don't really want real change in their life. Right? What they want is they come and, and they come seeking uh, and they want God to fix whatever it is that's broken. Right? They want God to, to, to fix whatever is wrong with their house, whatever is wrong in their house, whatever is wrong in their life, whatever is wrong with their family. They just want Him to fix this one little area of their life, maybe to you know, scrub some rust away and put a new coat of paint on it so it looks better and, and it feels better. But here's the deal. God doesn't want to polish up the old you. He wants to make you a new you, right? He doesn't want to just clean you up a little bit and make you feel better about yourself and make you look better so people will think more highly of you. He doesn't want to polish you up. He wants to make you new. He doesn't want you to turn over a new leaf, but instead he wants you to have a new life. And I know I quote C.S. Lewis a lot uh, but there, there's a book called Mere Christianity, a great book. I'd highly recommend. And I just want to summarize how he speaks to this because I love what he says. He says, many people come to God because they realize that their house is broken down. Right? He says, they realize their house is broken down and they need God to fix it. And at first, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised by that. But then, he starts knocking the house about in a way that it hurts, right? And it doesn't seem to make any sense at all to you what he's doing. And you wonder, what on earth is he up to? 
And the explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. Erecting a new wing here, putting an extra floor there, adding some towers, building courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace and he intends to live there. I love that. I love that. You know, listen, some of you today would be happy with just some little changes. Some of you would be thrilled with just some some little changes. But God has so much more for you. He has so much more than you could ever dream or imagine, His Word tells us. He has so much more for you than you could ever have for yourself. You know, and, and which is why this morning He allows the locusts to wake us up this morning. So again, let me ask you, where is this happening for you? In, in your own life, in, in your life, is there something in your life that maybe you're asking God to fix or you're asking God to take away? But maybe, just maybe, today he's wanting you to realize that instead he's trying to send you a warning through that very thing. That's the locust that he wants you to hear. He wants you to see and to know the damage uh, that's being done there. Because here's the deal. God doesn't want for any of his creation to be destroyed by sin. That's not his desire. That's not his plan. He, he speaks uh, later on here in chapter 2, starting at uh, verse number 18, about the grace and the mercy that is available through him instead. He talks about what sin looks like and what sin will do. He talks about the, the, in, the oncoming judgment uh, uh, of sin in this world. But then it, it's almost like Joel shifts gears here at, at verse number 18 and, and says, but there's a way out. There's help from this. There's grace and there's mercy that comes from our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 19, I, I love this. He says, I'm sending you grain. I'm sending you new wine. I'm sending you olive oil enough to satisfy you fully. Don't miss this. God not only wants to shield his wrath from you. Not only does he not want you to be destroyed by your sin and this judgment, but he wants to bless your life. He wants to bless you. And verse 19 here is speaking to those new blessings that comes because of His grace and His mercy. Right? And He says, enough to satisfy you fully. What is that? Contentment. That's contentment, right? That's what we're all looking for. That's what we all want out of life, right? Is contentment. And, and He's saying right here, I will provide you contentment. You're looking in all these other places. You've been chasing all these other things, looking for happiness and contentment. But let me tell you something. When you get in right relationship with God, you will find the contentment that you're looking for. And that is the only place that you will find it, my friend. Contentment is one of the greatest gifts that God can give us. And, and I, I can't wrap this up this morning without pointing out the other thing here. I love this. And some of you, some of you are, are just going to get this and, and go, yeah, yeah. That, verse 25, this is so good. The Lord says this, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. When we get things right with God, when we are in the right relationship with Him, don't miss this. He says, I will go back and I will make up 
for what sin has destroyed in your past. I've said it a thousand times and I'll say it till I'm gone. Your past does not define your future. It doesn't have to. And he says, I'll go back and I'll take that past <laughs> and, and I will make up for what sin has destroyed in your life and, and in your past. And some of you know exactly what he's talking about here because you've experienced it. The locust had just about cleaned you out, right? But then you allow God to restore you and redeem you. And he took what you thought was hopeless and helpless and made it into something new and made it even greater than something you ever imagined uh, that it could be. You know, I've seen marriages on the brink of disaster. I've seen relationships on the brink of destruction. And the locusts had just about totally wiped them out and it looked like there was no hope. But God. (laughs) But God. Who is in the business of what? Restoring. That's who he is. That's what he does. He restores. God who is in the business. We've been talking about this the last several weeks around Easter. God is in the business of bringing what is dead back to life. And you may be here this morning and you may go, my life looks like a nuclear bomb is hit and there is nothing left. But God. (laughs) But God can restore and renew. Make all things new. Bring what is dead back to life. He restores us and, and makes up for in your life what sin may have destroyed in your past. You know, and, and, and it's now, you know, can be better than you ever dreamed or imagined. God, I believe God is saying somebody to hear today, return to me and I will restore what the locusts have taken. Come to me today and I will restore to you what the locusts have eaten. You know what? Your life is not over if you're still breathing today. You still have hope. You still have an opportunity. And if you return to God or you come to God, He promises that all that you went through will be swallowed up in goodness. And sometimes you'll experience that here on earth. You know, I've seen people before go through stuff and and just, it would blow your mind. Sometimes you would think, man, they're just overwhelmed with all this bad stuff, this and this and this and this, it just keeps happening and it just seems like it's never going to end. But then a few years later, you get past that and you kind of look back and you go, I see what God was doing there. And, And so often, later on, you will see that they are in such a better place in life than they ever had been before, right? Only God can do that. Only God. And, and you know what? Sometimes you'll experience that on earth, but honestly, you know, we may not. But the promise is this, that, you know, we may not experience that until we get to eternity. But I promise you that when we've been there 10,000 years, we'll still be singing of His grace. We'll still be singing of His goodness. Because all the bad, all the struggles, all that we went through are going to be swallowed up in the goodness of God. And and, and that should free you today, right, from despair. That should free you today from regrets that maybe you carried in here and you brought in here with you. That should free you today from bitterness and anger 
Let me tell you something. No one has ever taken from you what God will not restore in abundance when you step into eternity. So listen, like we talked about at the the beginning, there are many things that are wrong. There are many things that are wrong in our lives. There are many things that are wrong in the church. Let's just be honest. There are many things that are wrong in our community and in our nation. But in reality, there's just one thing wrong. There's just one thing wrong. Like Israel, we have fallen away from God. And we no longer love Him the way we once loved Him. We no longer pursue Him the way that we once pursued Him. We no longer follow Him the way that we once followed Him. And I believe that this morning God would have us hear the approaching locust. I believe He would have us hear the swarming locusts that are gathering and eating away at our marriages, at our families, at our community, at our nation today. And so, you know, this morning, Joel gives us an illustration of what might be happening in your very life right now, right? Or or maybe as a warning to what's coming, because it's coming. Judgment on sin is coming. And so today, we have this minor prophet, Joel, who tells us this crazy story about locusts. So that maybe we would see and understand what's going on in our lives and going on around us. And so that we would be warned. And we would turn back to Him or come to Him and allow Him to do what only God can do in our lives. And so this morning as we close, we hadn't been able to do this in the last few weeks as we've been celebrating baptisms. But we always try to spend some time around the altar in prayer each each week. It's what we do as a family. We pray together. As a church, maybe you're here this morning, God's been dealing with you about something, speaking to you about something, and you would just like to come to this altar as we close in prayer together. I mean, no one's, no one's going to judge you. Maybe there's somebody that you would like to come and pray for. Maybe there's a situation going on in your family, and you don't know it, you don't understand what God's doing or what He's going to do, but you just want to come today and say, God, I trust you, and I'm going to give this to you. We sang about the importance of the altar earlier. And so if you want to come this morning, and also there's a prayer chest up here. Uh, Some of our visitors ask sometimes what that's all about. It's just filled with names of people that we're praying we get saved and come to know Christ. And so if someone would like to come pray over that today, uh, I would love for you to do that. But this morning, if you'd like to come pray, whatever it is, bring it to God this morning, and let's just close together as a family at God's altar. At his throne. God, today we love you so much. and I just want to tell you today how much I love your church. How much I love the body of Christ today. I love these people. I love being able to share your word with these people that I love and God it's easy to get up here and share the good stuff and the encouraging stuff and your word's filled with that your word is filled with hope your word's filled with encouragement Uh, your word's filled with things that we can get excited about 
But God, we can't, just because we don't like it, overlook the warnings that are there. I mean, it's easy to skip over and not talk about it because it's not popular, but just because it's popular doesn't mean it's truth, not true. And so, God, today, your, your truth has been spoken through your prophet Joel. An illustration there of what sin will do. A proclamation there of the judgment to come for the sin in this world. And there's only one Savior. There's only one solution, and that's you. And so, God, if there be someone here today that feels like they're in the middle of that locust plague right now, I pray today that you would breathe new life into them, that they would totally surrender to your way, your will. They would trust you, that they would understand today that their hope is only in you and nothing else. And if there be someone here today that's never accepted you as as their Lord and Savior of their life, that today would be a day that they would do that. Today would be a day that they would just acknowledge they can't fix it, they can't do it. But you can. And so today, I pray, would be a great day of celebration for someone as they surrender their life to you. But God, I believe today also you're speaking to some people that you're just trying to call back. Israel was your chosen people. But yet, they would be disobedient. They would put other things before you. They would just get so off track. And so God, today, I I believe that you're allowing some folks to hear the swarm of the locust so that you could bring them back to where you want them bring them back to where they need to be and so God the ones that are here today that are hearing the buzz of the locusts I just pray God that you would do a work in their heart that only you could do that they would leave here knowing that they're a child of the king and all the damage that's been done by the sin and the locusts of the past can be restored as they walk with you and in their relationship with you God, we thank you for that kind of love because often we don't even love one another that much. But God, you loved us enough that you never give up. You never quit on us. You don't want us to be destroyed by our sin and our past. So we're thankful for that kind of love that you have for us and the hope that we have in you and in that. God, I pray for these this morning that walk through here, walk through these doors with a heavy load those that are hurting today, those that are suffering great loss, those that are going through things that they can't even understand and don't know why they're going through them today. God, I just pray that you would minister to each one in the way that they need to be ministered today. The ones that are hopeless, give them hope. The ones that are tired, give them rest. The ones who are weary, give them strength. God, you are such a good God, and you have been so good to us. And so I pray that as we leave this place today, as we leave this house of worship, that we would understand we're not leaving the church, we're going to be the church. And once we've understand, once we've understood this grace and this forgiveness and this mercy that has been extended to us, we'll be willing to do the same to a world that needs to see it to a world that needs to be forgiven, a world that needs to understand the grace and the goodness of God. And that in and through us, they would see you and come to know you as Lord and Savior of their life. God, we love you so much, and we thank you again for your incredible and amazing love for us and for this reminder today that we all needed to hear. 
Because if nothing else, it motivates us to go into this world and spread this good news with other people. Because there are a lot of people that are being eaten alive today by sin. So I pray that we would go out from here and be life-giving and not life-taking. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we ask these things. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you so much. Have an incredible week.